The title of today's message is Restoring Favor and Union. God's word gives us revelation. It's through God's word that we come into a relationship with him. And we also gain understanding into the days in which we live. It challenges us to get in a right relationship with God and with one another. It teaches us how we should live. It teaches us about Christ and his kingdom. And so it is so, I should say, it's a wonderful privilege, is a better way to say it, that we have freedom in America to come together and read God's word. It is a privilege that we have God's word available to us to read on our own, in our own language, because that has not always been the case. And it is God's word that really brought forth much of what Western civilization is, much of what is a blessing, much of the change, much of the reform. But it is also something that is being undermined in our day. We don't read God's word like our fathers read God's word. And so part of a revival will be letting God and Jesus Christ have his rightful place in our lives. But that happens as God's word has its rightful place in our lives once again. So with that, I want to read from Zechariah 11, 4 through 14. Verse 4. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. At first, that doesn't sound really good, does it? Because when we read scripture, especially when the prophets, and I remember in the old days, I didn't want to read the prophets because I was afraid that they always had bad things to say. But after I read through the Bible a few times, I realized, oh, I was totally wrong. The prophets show you the love and goodness of God. And so the prophet here says, shepherd my flock that is marked for slaughter. And the imagery here is really a contrast, isn't it? It's a contrast about taking care of people. Take care of them. Shepherd them. Be good to them. Be kind. Be merciful to them. Yet they're marked for slaughter. It should raise the question, why are they marked for slaughter? And in the next verses, we're going to see why. Verse 5, their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. So the first thing we see about this culture is they have wicked and moral leaders. And that not just in government, but the leaders of culture, the leaders of industry, the leaders of society are oppressive. And God is saying to those people who are oppressed, I care for you. Let me shepherd you. Let me take care of you. But there's something else in that passage that is really, may we use the word offensive? Because these oppressors, these tyrants, are we talking about the, the wicked, evil leaders such as Stalin or Hitler? Hmm. These leaders, these wicked leaders say, praise the Lord, I am rich. It's something far, far worse it's false religion. It's darkening the truth of God's kingdom by twisting scripture in a way that is 
contrary to the truth. And that has been one of the greatest banes of humanity in of all time. We really do believe that all of history is a cultural war between those that are looking to Jesus, the Messiah, seeing his kingdom and wanting to draw people into that dream in a wicked, cruel, and oppressive world that wants to use people for their own wicked ends. And whenever those who name the name of Jesus, those who use religion but are not true to God's word, get into power, it ends up creating a mess. And we need to restore and cleanse the world from that mess. So going on, it says... Verse 6, for I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbor, their king. They will devastate the land. I will not rescue them, anyone from their hands. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs, one called favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. I'm going to speed it up for time's sake because I want to get to the good stuff. But here what we see, it's hard to see in the English translation, but God said, I got rid of these oppressors for the poor of the land. I took care of it. I dealt with them. Isn't that beautiful? God gave the people in their suffering a reprieve. Does that sound familiar to anybody here today? Think about it. The reason we read scripture is not just to look back to other days, but to look into our day and, and come to understand what does this mean for us today. And so we know rhetorically that God described the problem, these, these oppressors, and then he gives a solution. I got rid of these wicked shepherds. And the response of the people was this, the flock detested me. I grew weary of them, and I said, I will not be your shepherd. You see, God, in his mercy and his grace, delivered the people from the hand of their oppressors. He knocked out the wicked leaders. But the problem was the people still worshipped idols in their heart. They still didn't walk in the fear of the Lord. They still detested the ways of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Does that tell us something about today? Where we need to see revival and a great awakening? He said, then he goes on, let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. So what did the Lord do is he broke the rod of favor over the nation. And that was a covenant made with the nations. God said, if you will fear me, and keep my commandments, even when you leave your land to go and, and worship me at my festivals, I will not even allow it to come into the heart of your neighbors to come and attack you. 
But now that favor among the nations, that covenant among the nations was broken so that foreigners begin invading. Isn't that an interesting picture? Sound familiar? But it's part of the reason is that in the, in the economy of God, God would want foreigners and strangers coming in, not to invade, but to come in and to discover, why is this culture so free? Why do the people have so much life, so much dignity, so much beauty? We need to know what makes you special. And as they draw near, they would find out it is the Lord your God who is in the midst of you. And when a culture has a clear vision of living in the presence of the Lord, of living righteous and holy in his ways, because they fed on God's word, then the nations come and flock, because we become a kingdom of priests to the nations. We become a blessing to the nations to deliver them from darkness. But when we lose that vision, when we lose that dream, then people come in and they start to see there's a vacuum here. So let's bring in our gods and let's bring in our ways and let us bring in our culture. Because we've lost the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A vacuum is created. We need to see that turned around. Amen? I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Here in the book of Zechariah, there is a wonderful prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, you see the heart of our Father thinking far in advance for his people, wanting to reveal to them their true king, wanting to reveal to them their true Messiah, revealing it to us. And the heart of this passage is this, that these people, this flock, these leaders were rejecting Jesus. That is whom they, that is the one whom they have rejected. And that is the reason why their culture is falling apart. And then finally, then I broke my second staff called union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Do you see what happened here? The people, the culture rejected the kingdom of God. They rejected the moral government of God. They worshiped other gods rather than the true one and only living God. In corruption, tyranny, oppression, and evil was running rampant in the land. And so the people said, we don't want you to be Lord over us. So he handed them over to the desires of their own heart. And the first thing that happened is that favor was broken over the nation and they were invaded. And the second thing that happened was union was broken and division started to run rampant in their culture. Sound familiar to anyone? Let's just be honest. Race, racism, classism, even our political divisions, 
If you take a step back, what you're seeing is the American culture is being divided and divided and divided and divided, and people are turning against one another because only Jesus Christ has the power to turn our swords into plowshares. Only Jesus is able to cause us to walk in love and not in fear. Only Jesus causes us to see all human beings as the redeemed of the Lord. When you talk about racism in the house of God, it, is, it should be non-existent. It should be non-existent. And most of us here who have walked with the Lord for many years, we don't even see race anymore. We see human beings created in the image of God. People for whom Christ died. Those for whom he shed his blood. Those for whom Jesus Christ descended into hell and rose again and has called them by name. That's all we see in Jesus Christ so when you think about the dream of the kingdom, it's not centered on any race. It's not centered on any um, economic status. It's about all of us becoming one in Jesus Christ. And the greatest racial division between Jew and Gentile has been torn down in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if America does not return to the fear of the Lord, if we don't boldly proclaim and bring people to Jesus Christ, we will see division destroy this land. But I want to ask you another question. How does the scripture make you feel? Does it make you feel hopeless? Defining the times that we live in? Or does it make you look back to God's word for hope and a vision? And this is what it does for me. Is it awakens something in me to realize the importance of the days that we're living in. To understand what is at stake for our children and our children's children if we don't awaken this nation to the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel and reform the world through the word of God once again. But I also get great faith and great confidence because when I look both to the day of Pentecost, to the early church, to the Acts of the Apostles, and to the church throughout history, I realize that we are facing nothing today that hasn't been faced by the church in the past. But what I see is I often see the same picture of Saul and his army facing the Philistines and Goliath. And they are in fear and they are not making a difference until a shepherd boy comes who worships the Lord, who in his closet, we could say, in his private place, in the secret place of his heart, he worships the Lord. And through worshiping the Lord, he gets a vision of who God is and of how mighty he is and how powerful he is so that when he shows up on the scene, he has a different dream, a different vision, a different perception. And he says, know this day that, that you, well, you have come against me with flesh and blood, but I've come, you're coming really against the Lord. I'm hacking up the scripture, but you all know it. And he's, he puts his faith in God. And cuts off Goliath's head. 
And everybody sees what Bishop was talking about. Faith has power to turn things around. Faith has power to change history, to change culture. And we need to get that into our blood. We need to get that into our language. It's imperative because the church will never grow if we don't have a vision of the majesty and glory and power and splendor of God and the incredible power and impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the messianic hope for today. For today. You know, who do we really magnify in our heart? Think about it. Do we have more faith in sin and in the devil to destroy American culture, to destroy the West, to destroy the nations than we have faith in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith in the God in whom we serve? See, those apostles, they went out with boldness, with conviction, with fire, knowing that they were ambassadors of Jesus Christ, knowing that they were empowered and equipped to go and to liberate the captives, to set people free. And they understood what was at stake. Hopefully we understand what is at stake. Beauty and, or favor, beauty if you look in the King James Version, but it is favor in the Hebrew. Favor and unity is being broken in America if you have eyes to see. And the end result is tyranny and oppression and evil and misery. But the good news is that God has entrusted us with power and authority to deal with it. But the question we need to be asking is how do we restore favor and unity to America? You can't legislate racism out of the hearts of men. You can't legislate terrorism out of the hearts of men. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform us and to renew us. And the, and the answer is very simple. We need to see the kingdom of God so clearly, the beauty, the dignity, and know who human beings are created in his image and be able to inspire a generation with that dream. But the strategy is simple. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Remember when I said, should there be racism in the church? Absolutely not. One of the grossest things that this world ever sees is when those professing the name of Jesus Christ hold to things that are contrary to God's word. And that has happened because the enemy of our souls knows the best way to keep people from freedom in life is to defame and to slander and to accuse. And the best way to do that is by wolves in sheep's clothing. But nevertheless, could there be sin in the church? Yes, because the normal Christian life is this, come to Jesus wherever you are at and walk with him. And as you walk with him, you'll be transformed, you'll be renewed. As you, as you feed on God's word and you come to know him more and more and as his word becomes the dream and, and the interpreter of our lives, then we become more and more loving and more and more like Christ. So the reality is, 
Could there be homosexuals in the church? Yes. There can be all kinds of people in the church. And could they actually even believe that it is okay? Yes. But as they walk with Jesus and submit to his rule and reign and feed on his word, they start to become transformed. See, I remember sitting outside in this park with a bunch of young people who, the only thing I'll mention that they did was drink and smoke weed there. And I went out to sit with them to talk with them because they knew I was a preacher. And they started asking me questions. They said, what would I need to give up to become a Christian? And I said, you're seeing it completely backwards. You're thinking, what do I need to give up to become a Christian? Let me tell you how it really works. You start to see the beauty and love of God in Jesus Christ. And that captivates your heart. And as he captivates your heart, you want to become like him. And as you want to become like him, you quit wanting these things that are, that are wrong. You don't want them anymore. It's not what you want. It's not what do, you, do I have to give up to become a Christian. You become a Christian and then you become transformed and renewed. But people outside who have never met the Lord, they don't know the beauty and wonder of walking with Christ. Right? And if we can encourage one another to walk with Jesus, be renewed, if we can get one another praying and reading God's word and letting that word transform us, we will have a great awakening. And if we can get people hungry to read God's word more and more, we can turn this cultural war around. But it begins not by us going and telling other people, you need to live this way and you need to live this way and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. It begins by us leading by example. Leading by example. Lord, let me know you more. Lord, let me love you more. I, need, I want to know you more. And so I'm going to go and find how you revealed yourself to me so that I know you more. That's what God's word does in our life. And if people really believed that, we would be hungry for God's word more, wouldn't we? You see, chores, when we do things religiously, I read the word because I'm supposed to read the word, it becomes a dead ritual. But when I have faith, then I read God's word because I'm hungry to know him more. And that's when Christ leaps off the pages of Scripture. That's the kind of transformation that we need to see happen here in this generation. In our Christian Worldview small group, we've been reading the book that made your world by Vishal Mangawadi. And he was an in, he's an Indian man who went to the university in the 60s where they were really promoting a materialistic worldview right? And he started reading the Bible, and it was such an intriguing um, story when you started to see how an Indian man begins to read God's word and starts to seek God to see if it's really true. So he opened up the, 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 the Bible and started reading, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and moving on from there. And he said, that came home to me one day when I came home and the power was out. And when I stumbled into the house, there was the dog like, yeah, what's the big deal? The power's out. What's your problem? 
And I went and looked for the matches, and there was no matches. And I sat down in my couch in the darkness and sat there and pondered for a little while. And he said, then suddenly I realized we really are created in the image of God. We have the power to dream and to create. Dogs just accept there's no light. Oh, well, I live in the darkness. Human beings imagine a different world and say, how can I create light in this dark room? And that creativity is the power of God or the image of God and man. But it has been a power in history. And he said, I saw in India, we didn't have that view of the dignity of man. So we often lived in fatalistic despair and in a broken culture because we did not believe that we have the creative power to change the way things are. Amazing, isn't it? And then he said, so I kept reading the word, and he said, it was really intriguing in the beginning of Genesis, and then I kind of got bogged down. And I started to say, why am I, an Indian man, reading about a bunch of Jews? And he said, but then, and he, he said, then I, well, then he started asking all kinds of questions, too, like, who wrote this Bible? It, was, it, was it the powerful? No, because look at how they're shown in God's word. Can't be them. Could it be the priests? No, look at them too. Well, could it be the prophets? Definitely had to be written by the prophets. Nope. Look at how they always failed and never were successful. Maybe the common people. And he said, no, because look at how they rebelled all the time too. And then he said, I realized it really is God speaking through the vessels of human beings in a way that shows the love and goodness of God, but also the character and nature of God, so that the Bible is a book that reads us. And he said, and this is why it has been the vehicle for cultural reform from the beginning. Whenever the word of God has been given into the hands of the people, reformation begins. Transformation begins. They start to see what it means to be holy, to be loving, to be good, to be merciful, to be just, to walk in the ways of the Lord, and they see the beauty of a world governed by God. And it changes everything. It changes everything. And then he said, as he got into... Genesis 11 and 12, he saw that Abraham was given this mission that through him and his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he realized that this was a statement which could be tested. And he said, that became my life mission, to go and research and explore. Have all the nations of the earth been blessed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the word of God, through the descendants of Abraham, especially the descendants of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ? And as he did, he started to realize all the nations of the earth have been wonderfully blessed. And many of the things that we take for granted, is it true that Americans have a dark spot in our history of slavery? Yes. Read the Bible. Many people, like David, had dark spots in their history, and the Bible was not afraid to address it. But if you take a step back, it was this conviction in the hearts of men placed there by God's word 
in Western civilization where the, for the very first time in world history, slavery was abolished. And that was the end result of the Bible and its influence through faith in Jesus Christ upon Western civilization. And don't think for a second that that word of God could not have that same transformative power again in our day. But we need to see. I'm going to speed this up real fast and throw all this out. Okay. We need to see what can this generation look like if we are transformed through the renewing of our minds through the word of God, if we can paint the picture of the kingdom of God and have a simple strategy. We always hear bishops saying we need to go and make disciples, and that's true. But what are we doing? When we see what's at stake, favor and unity being broken, when we can see through wisdom from God's word that prophetic revelation that shows us what's in store for us if we don't wake up this nation and this generation, when we, I guess I should say, when we see those things, it puts a fire in our soul. But we have the solution, and it is Jesus Christ. And the strategy is simple. Bring individuals into a relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And then give them a vision for their life. Live for the Lord. Live for the Lord and get to know him more. And you don't need to just mystically try to figure out who God is by picking things out of your imagination. Read God's word. Read God's word. Let it transform you. Let it renew you. Let it revive you. As a matter of fact, I will read this one thing and then I'll start wrapping it up. Vishal Mangalwadi wrote this. He said, literature is something we interpret. Revelation also interprets and evaluates us. It stands above us, judges us, and calls us back to sanity. Repeatedly through Bible history, the Jews degenerated into wickedness. The revelation, however, remained a transcendent standard that promoted self-criticism and reform. It even deconstructed false ideologies that people built around the revelation. That prophetic tradition of self-criticism made the Jews a blessing to the world. Revelation was the source by which humanity could know God's love and judgment simultaneously. This helped me to understand why the Bible made it possible for the West to reform itself repeatedly, in spite of many periods of moral and intellectual degeneration. There is our hope for this generation. The West has repeatedly reformed itself through the power of faith in Jesus Christ and the transforming power of God's word. If we get hold of that, then we go out as ambassadors with boldness, with confidence, inspiring people with a word of hope for today. A word of faith, a word of deliverance, a word of salvation. If we dare to believe that this is true. But we all have to ask ourselves, don't we? Do you really believe that there's hope for America? Honestly, let us search ourselves in light of God's word. Do you believe that there is power in us? And in, his, in the church of Jesus Christ today. If we were to take an honest look into each one of our hearts and ask the question, do you believe that the future is bright for America?
or for the West or for any nation on the earth right now, what is your answer? And then the next question is, if you do have, do you have hope? And the next question is, do you have a strategy? What is your vision? Because just a vain faith that God is going to turn it around without a strategy on how to do it doesn't get us anywhere, does it? And so the that's really what we're trying to do here you know, at Life Springs Church, and it's what Fortis Academy is trying to do. We're trying to awaken a generation to see that there is hope for the nations and hope for this nation. There's hope for this generation and it's a real hope. It's a proven hope. It has been worked out in history time and time again, but it requires a believing generation that dares to hope in the face of Goliath. It requires us to get, catch that dream and vision and to live it by example. Do you believe that God is the God of answered prayer? Do you pray? Show me your faith by your works. Do you believe that God's word reveals God, reveals Jesus, transforms your life? The proof of whether or not we believe it, I guess it's a little more complex than that, is do we read God's word? Do we study it? And I don't just mean by reading the Bible. We do it when we come here and we hear preaching. We do it when we come to Bible studies or home groups. We do it when we read other books that are dealing with Scripture, but it is a priority to develop a Christian worldview and a biblical faith. You see that hunger in all true children of God. And if we're not being educated continually, we are backsliding. Right? If we are not renewing our mind, other things are darkening our mind. And you wonder why we don't have the power to grip a generation. You see, we want to go out and be effective, but we can't if we are doubting and unbelieving. We can't. We can't inspire. We can't draw. We can't awaken. We can't move our generation. But there's good news. And it's very simply this, ask and you shall receive. Amen. We've been talking about fanning into flame the gift of God that is in us. The Holy Spirit will give you power to live in the presence of God and to impact this generation. The Holy Spirit will birth in you faith. God's word will birth in you faith. But the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent have to take it by force. Because this wicked world does not want you to have your inheritance. The devil doesn't want you to make it to heaven. The enemy does not want this world delivered from bondage. And God in his, in his economy has made it so that seek me and you will find me. Ask and you will receive Knock and the door will be opened. Fulfill those commandments and see if God doesn't work mightily. My honest to God prayer regularly is, Lord, raise up a multitude with the wisdom of Stephen. It said nobody could contend with the wisdom that Stephen had. Their only solution was to kill him. But we heard that a few weeks ago. 
they overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We need to be that kind of generation. We need to be bold, not sounding an alarm of fear, not sounding a word of discouragement, but sounding a bold call to the nations, repent and believe, for in him is life, in him is light. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish. He is the light of the world. Those who reject him walk in darkness. All things good and true and beautiful are found in him. That is the fire that I want to see lit in us. And I tell you what, that light in us can't help but to reproduce. You can't help but to reproduce. You can't help but to go. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth shall speak. There's so many things I wanted to talk about, how we can make this real in our, in our church, but ran out of, way ran out of time. But quickly, some things, like talking to Rich this week. We need to build one another up, not tear one another down. We, we need to live in covenant community, as Bishop was saying, because this takes a body, not an individual. We are a team. We are a community. We are a church. If we're going to win this war, we need to have a united vision, a united dream, a united mission. We need to be an army that moves with one accord, not an army of imperialism, but an army of God's love and mercy and grace. Because at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is mercy and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, encouraging those who, whose hearts are growing weak to, to stand strong in the Lord, to run, to keep running. Know that the, the morning star will dawn in your life. Know that breakthrough will come. Know that those who seek him will find him. Know that those who call in his name shall be saved. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Do not allow yourselves to be robbed of fellowship with the Father and with one another. Don't allow yourselves to come under criticism and slander and accusation but walk in the light as he is in the light and let us wake up until we can't help but to birth faith in a wicked and perverse generation. In Jesus mighty name. Let's just stand up and pray. Father in heaven we do acknowledge that we are seeing with our eyes favor and unity being broken over America. But we also confess that we see in your word that upon this rock you will build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Lord, that you have promised us power from on high to go and be your ambassadors, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Lord, that you have ordained your church to prevail, to overcome. And I just ask you this morning, Lord, that you would bring that faith and that transformative power that works through your word into this community in such a way that we would ignite a fire in this generation that would restore the word of God to its rightful place. 
I'll just be honest, and most importantly, restore Jesus Christ to his rightful place in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our education, in our government, in every area of our life. Lord, we pray that you would manifest your throne, that you would manifest your rule and your reign. And Lord, I just pray that you would release the manifestation of your Holy Spirit in everyone here today. Lord, that you would fan into flame the gift of God that is in us. That you would waken us up. And Lord, that all criticism, all slander, all accusation, everything that robs people of life would be washed away from this community with the word of God and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we just commit ourselves to you once again. Lord, these words that we have spoken, we are not going to be um, scoffers. These words that were spoken, that this church will grow, that your kingdom will break through, that Jesus Christ will be glorified. Lord, let us be those that believe and let signs and wonders and miracles confirm the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. God bless you.